Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, youth. Praise the Lord. You are the reason we're here. Praise God. This is your night. This is your weekend. This ain't the adults' weekend, but it's nice to see that they come and support. It's amazing. A lot of churches don't have that support. It's, it's a blessing to have parents and just people who aren't even related come and give complete support and want to see what God's going to do in your life. There's no telling what God wants to do in Palmer Pentecostal Church Youth Life starting from this day forward, from this weekend forward. Amen. I'm expecting great things. I'm expecting revival amongst your homes. I'm expecting revival in your own hearts. I'm expecting revival in your schools, in your community, in your neighborhoods. I'm, re- I'm expecting revival because of what you have come expecting this weekend. When we come expecting, God steps in and says, I can work with that. He doesn't work when you say, I want, but when you say, I need something, God, he says, I can work in a need anytime you give me one. That's the whole reason we come to God, because we have needs, right? I tell you right now, if, if nobody ever had a need, we wouldn't come to God. It's, it's just the truth of the matter. We would not come to God if everything we had was perfect. That's why God is constantly putting us in a state of need, because he wants us to want him. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Whom say ye that I am? For a few minutes, I'd like to talk to you on the topic tonight, released from the expectations of the world. Released from the expectations of the, of the world. God of heaven, I ask you to minister tonight, God. Let your anointed worth go forth tonight and speak to people's hearts. Let it minister to their situations, to their deepest and darkest and, and private corners, God. I ask you, Lord, to, to administer your word to their life and let healing come forth and let there be restoration and let there be lives completely changed from this night forward to go into the world, God, and to receive lost souls. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. You may be seated. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Sometimes people throw away something good for something better, only to find out later that good was actually good enough and better never even came close. Don't pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to endure the difficult one. And what looks good to you is not always good for you. Just because she looks good does not mean she's not completely ugly on the inside. Just because he's dreamy doesn't mean he's the dream sent by God for your life. If you could see the distractions that were sent your way from hell, if you knew ahead of time that what you were about to encounter was sent by hell to divert you from what God has in store for you. If you could just really see it for what it really is. We look at all of our problems, all of our situations, and yes, young people have problems. I used to be your age. We look at all of our problems, and they become overwhelming at times. They become stressful. I I remember having anxiety. I still have it every now and then. I remember those times where you start to think about everything that's adding up against you, And it it really distracts you from what you're in the middle of. It distracts you from who you actually are. If you can understand its motives behind its moves, 
if you could maybe just for a, for a few moments see behind the, the scenes, so to speak. It may just make a little more sense to you what you're going through. The timing of him showing up in your life. The, the timing of that being dropped into your lap. Uh, oh, things that, that just come knocking on your door at just perfect timing or at the wrong timing. Those things are not by chance. We don't live in a world of chance. We don't live in a world uh, of things that just happen to happen. Sure, life does just happen to happen. But I can tell you right now, there is an agenda sent forth by hell into every person's life, into every person's mind, every old person's marriage, every young person's future. There is an agenda sent forth by hell. From the time you were born until the time you're dying, that the devil is never going to let up trying to reach you. If you could just see the transcript that the author from hell has written for your life. Have you ever found yourselves in a series of unfortunate events? Better yet, have you ever realized that you have faced a series of parallel desires in your life and, and you got to have this and you got to have that and I want that and now I need this. Uh, and, and before long you even, you get entangled in things and I get, I get, I get and that you forget the reason you look to the left or to the right in the first place for what you originally wanted. Without warning, distractions come and they go. Without any, any warning, without any idea, you don't really know what you're going to wake up tomorrow going, ah, I want that. And a lot of guys will understand that more than ladies, but we are frivolous spenders. We're instantly, oh, I want to I want that. It just comes to mind and you think about it for two days and you got to have it. Do you need it? Probably not. But that's the way life works. Distractions. Many distractions. I'm talking about being released from the expectations of the world. Don't forget that. Some distractions will keep you, and some will keep you from ever obtaining God's divine purpose in your life. God will send you distractions from things the devil's trying to hammer you with. God will send his word and heal them, he said. So they're facing unparalleled, uncertain times, and God sent his word to heal them. That was a distraction for what they were going through so they could get their healing. Some distractions will keep you, and some distractions will keep you from. I believe every one of you here are here for a purpose. I'm not talking about sitting right where you're at at 6.52 or whatever time it is on such and such date, but I'm talking about you have a purpose in your life. You were born and created for a very direct reason from God, but, but, but from the time you became of age, you, became, you began facing distractions from the enemy that have been presented to you over and over and over again. Talking about distractions right now. Don't get distracted with the time. Don't get distracted with the bonfire. That sounds amazing. But for a few minutes, anybody can give me five minutes tonight? I mean, let me see a show of hands. Five, five minutes. That's like 55 minutes right there I can add. We're good. But being presented to your life over and over from a, from a young age when you start understanding things, distractions, being poured into your very fibers, into the DNA of who you are, and, and they begin, you begin to develop desires of your own, and they were planted by an enemy to one day throw you off course. You were, brought, you were bought with a price, and the enemy of your soul says, I can match the price you were bought with. And the thing is this, the devil wants to bargain, though. 
The devil wants to bargain for your soul. Jesus paid for your soul, but the devil wants to bargain for your soul. What will you give up? What will you let down on this week? What will you not hold fast to today? It's little steps that eventually lead you to the big jump off the cliff. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's the little things that we allow in our life that eventually become huge monstrosities that we can't get around and we can't see over and we don't know how we got here. We become vulnerable to something we never should have been allowed to taste. And once you get a taste of the pleasures of sin, there's only one thing that can wash away the taste of the, of the pleasures of sin. Regret doesn't do it. Condemnation doesn't help you. Conviction sometimes leaves you empty because we don't know what to do with conviction. We're not taught how to deal with conviction. That's going to get quiet, but that's okay. We're not taught that when God says you shouldn't be doing that, we're not taught we should turn to repentance right away anymore. How often do you hear it? Thank God our pastor teaches repentance. But a lot of places don't know more. A lot of places teach the glad news of God, and if you ain't glad, get out. And that ain't right. If you're convicted of the Holy Ghost, we ought to be teaching from a young age up. If you're convicted about something in your life, find an altar somewhere and tell God you're sorry. Find an altar in your life. Tell God I'm not going there no more. You watch the restoration power of the Holy Ghost in your life when you tell God you're sorry. It's that simple. It's that easy. Repentance is not jumping off uh, some mile-high cliff. No, it's one step at a time, and watch God pull you through every single time. So often, though, we don't want to repent because we're too close to the enemy. We're too close to it, too familiar with it. It's harder to repent than it is to keep with it, we think. And that's a lie, a lie from the very pits of hell. It, oh, sure, it's hard to repent sometimes. It's hard to let go of things. It's hard to let go of small sin. It's hard to let go of big sin. Why? Because it was sent from hell to get its teeth in you, to get its grip on your life. Oh, it's not something you're holding on to. Trust me. It's not. Don't let the devil convince you you're holding on to sin. When you decide to sin and keep sinning, sin has got a hold on you. You have to find repentance and let God remove sin from your heart. You have to realize the devil, when he gets a hold of you, you have to let God take the grip back. It's not something you can do on your own. It's not something I can say, I'm just going to quit tomorrow. You'll never quit. You'll never stop. Oh, I don't want to hear this tonight. I'm sorry. But I thought we came to be released. I thought we came to leave changed. I thought we came to be completely different. I want to be released from who I used to be. Do you? Do you? Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The first book of your Bible, Genesis, the fourth chapter, the writer puts it like this. Sin lieth at the door. But in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the door, and if any man come, has to enter through me, he shall be saved. Paraphrase. I forgot the whole thing. But he says he's the door. But in Genesis, the very first book you ever read, it says, sin lieth at the door. The problem we encounter is that we get distracted at the door and never enter in fully into his presence because sin is at the door. Sin knows the closest you're going to get to God is right here. If you get past this point, it's over for sin. 
If you get past this point, you're getting your victory. If you get past this point, you're going to have what God has in store for you. But sin lies at the door to be that final block, that final distraction. Don't go in. You're at the door. Jesus said, I'm the door. And sin says, I'm going to wait right at your gates. Just when you were looking over Jordan, the walls of Jericho came into view. Just when you were about to give up your habits, another opportunity opens its door for you to have the taste of sin one more time. Isn't that, isn't that just coincidence? I'm, I've, I've decided in my mind not, never again, and I turn the corner, and there it is. Whoa. Okay, one more time. Won't hurt one more time. I'll, be, I'll, I'll, I'll repent tomorrow. I'm all right. And you forget about it because sin gets in your face. Sin's confrontational. Sin's not, hey, I'm over here to the side. Sin's like, I know your weakness. And I'm not going to let you look at the door. Sin wants to block your view from the cross. Wants to eclipse you from anything God could ever do for you. Why? Why? He knows the end from the beginning more than we do. And he knows his end more than we do. Just when you're you felt victory, something catches your eyes, and you begin to question God, and question His ways, and question doctrine, and question holiness, and question beliefs. Not only will sin distract you, it will lie to you. Sin lieth at the door. When you are closest to God, sin will start to put, the devil will start to put little lies in your mind, little doubts in your mind, little things that you don't know is truth anymore because you're so close to your victory. You're so close to God fixing things. You're so close to, to God saying, you've got it, that's it, pull you in. And sin said, no, 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 it's not that way. You don't need to believe like that. Sin doesn't lie to you when you're out there on the bar stool. You're already, you're already in your mess. It doesn't need to reach you. It doesn't need to reach you when you're high and, and you're hanging out behind the school with your friends. It's already got you. But when you're at the door knocking, saying, God, I want help, sin goes, no, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't want help. You don't need help. You've got everything you need. Sin lieth at the door. Sin lieth right where you need victory the most. If I'm ever going to stop Trenton from making it, the devil says, I've got to lie to him. I've got to convince him. I've got to, there's something greener on the other side. You've got to put thoughts in his mind. That's what the devil does. If I'm ever going to stop GJ from overcoming his issues, from his battles, I've got to lie to him at the door of his answers. I've got to make him confused right when he's about to get his answer. Right when he's about to over, I've got to confuse his mind. That's what the devil does. That's what sin does to your life. You become confused. You become distracted. You become completely unaware of how close you are. Praise God. If I'm ever going to stop the young people in Palmer, Alaska, I'm going to have to lie at the door of their greatest revival and convince them that they don't need revival. If I'm going to manipulate them into thinking that the Holy Ghost isn't real, I've got to make them question things at the door. If I'm ever going to convince Palmer Pentecostal Church youth people that they don't need holiness, that they don't need to live a moral life, that they don't need to live the same way in church that they live at home or at school, if I'm ever going to convince them of that, I've got to start at the door. And who's usually at the door? The ministry, the people in church, the people who've been there, the elders. Sin starts to knock on the elder's heart. 
Sin starts to knock on the pillars and the foundation of the people of the church. Because if I can tear apart the, the building from the foundation, pretty soon the walls will crumble. And the young people aren't built up enough to hold the church. They'll collapse if I can take out the leaders, if I can take out the ones they're looking at. You don't realize it, young people, but you need to be praying for your elders. You need to be praying for your pastor. You need to be praying for the ministers of your church. You need to be praying for your parents that God would not deceive, they wouldn't be deceived and believe a lie and be damned. You better be praying for them. You ever want to make it to heaven, you better be praying for the ones leading you. The Bible doesn't need to be rewritten, I read one time. It needs to be reread. The problem is people think the Bible needs changing, correction. And I, I have no problem with how pastor does the five different versions to show the insight. But the problem with the world is they give you so many versions that eventually it's so watered down you don't have truth. You don't have, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You have, oh, hear people, the Lord of our people. You have things that are watered down, and eventually you don't know truth because we believe the lie at the door. I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to uh, pull the wool over Palmer Pentecostal youth's eyes, blind them from truths, uh, and before long I'll have them right where I want them. You think that coming to church on Wednesday, on Sunday... Once in a while a youth night, once in a while a prayer meeting. You think that's enough to get to heaven? I'm not trying to be harsh on you, but it's not. It takes a daily walk with God. It takes a prayer life on your own. It takes, besides mom and dad's prayer life, it takes you getting up in the morning saying, God, I love you. God, I need your help today. I know I'm just a kid, but you said, suffer the little children to come unto me. Oh, I've got to come to him as I am. You've got to come to him as you are if you ever want to make it. Praise God. Bible says in Matthew 15, 14, that the blind will lead the blind, and they both will fall in the ditch. If the enemy can cause you to lose your vision in your last hour, how many of you know we're living in the last hour? I'm sure every generation has said that. I, I'm, not, I'm not doubting that. I guarantee you that. But I'm not lessening the effect of it. I can tell you that. Signs of the times, if you just doesn't take long to look around and realizing that God is literally wrapping this up. I cannot afford, you cannot afford to sit back and blindly follow Pastor Herring without getting in your Bible and knowing it's right for yourself. You have to have a relationship with God. You have to. Oh, it's for my parents. They'll lead me. And the blind will lead the blind. Do you want to risk heaven on that? Do you want to risk heaven on someone else's leadership? I'm not saying he's leading us wrong. Don't, don't misunderstand that. But you've got to know in your heart. How will you know unless you study? Study thyself to, to show thyself approved, it says. Praise God. Praise God. If the enemy can cause you to become blind in the last hour, in the last times of life, he can lead an entire generation into the ditch. Oh, young person, hear me tonight. David said it like this in Psalms 37, 25. I have been young and now I am old. Yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread. What that tells me is the offspring of the righteous didn't find themselves in a ditch somewhere. Because they followed someone who, led, who didn't lead them astray. They followed the righteous. But had, the, had they not been righteous, 
had they not been following the word of God, where would they be? Where would David be? My goodness. What that is saying is that if you want to make it, you've got to have your eyes fixed on Jesus yourself. Not on the coattail of your mom, on your dad, on your brother, on your sister. You better have a relationship with God if you're ever going to make it. He said the righteous shall scarcely be saved. My God of heaven, if the righteous are scarcely where does that leave me? Where does that leave you? God, i got to have it. you got to have your heart fixed on the Lord. Solomon said, without vision, the people perish. The enemy is sending distractions because he knows he doesn't have your full attention. When you need the attention of someone, you distract them from whatever they're doing to get their attention. And if the devil is distracting you in your life, it's because he does not have your full attention yet. Let me encourage somebody tonight. If you're feeling distracted, bombarded, anxious, problems from every angle, chances are that's a good thing because the devil don't have a grip on you yet. You better take it as a sign that I can shake myself. Uh, I can make it right. Uh, He said, stir up the gift uh, that is within you. Praise God. If the devil is distracting you, keep your focus. Keep your eyes straight ahead. He doesn't have you yet. In the last days, the Bible says, Jesus will pour out. He said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Hallelujah. If he was going to pour his spirit out on, on, on spirit, we wouldn't have a chance. Because we're flesh. If he was going to keep it to the, to the supernatural realm, we wouldn't make it. He said, I'm going to pour my spirit on flesh. But since he said, I'm going to pour my spirit on flesh, he said, I'm going to have to give their earthly bodies something heavenly if they're ever going to make it in heaven. If they're ever going to make it to heaven. John 1 and 14, we should all be familiar with this, says, He, being God himself, became flesh and dwelt among us. Oh, oh, oh. we talked about not being fleshly, but God came down and became with flesh. The first time spirit joined flesh was in the Garden of Eden. When God breathed life into man and became a living soul. The second time was when the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary and brought forth Jesus. But the third time was when he poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost. And they were in the upper room and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. As of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared, they saw it with their own eyes. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. And the Spirit gave them utterance. The word utterance in the Greek simply means a speaking. The Bible also says that the Spirit maketh intercessions for you with groanings that you can't. So as the Spirit gave them the speaking, the, the words, the ability, when you mix flesh with Spirit, Spirit will always step out of the way. But when you mix Spirit with flesh, when you mix Spirit with flesh, with your rotten, sinful flesh, God says, get out of my way, I am speaking now. 
He says, I am going to put words in your spirit that you don't even know you need. I am going to put a song in your heart that is going to pull you out of your mess. But when I put flesh in a sinful, in a spirit-filled situation, I immediately quench the spirit. Talked about it last night. But in order to quench the flesh, I've got to release the spirit in my life. I've got to completely let go and let God. I'm talking about a God who speaks into your life. Uh, I'm talking about a God who isn't limited by your flesh. I'm coming to a close, but I want to share a story with you. 1895, in Baltimore, Maryland, George Herman Ruth Sr. and Catherine Schamberger gave birth to a baby boy named George Herman Ruth Sr. All right. That's these long names, people. Seven middle names nowadays. But when he was 19 years old, he came to the Major League Baseball to play, and he wanted to sign. And back in those days, you had to have a parental signature if you were under 21, and, or you had to have a legal guardian sign for you, otherwise they couldn't sign you to a team. He was given up to an orphanage and an orphanage and an orphanage, so he didn't have parents to sign for him. So the owner of the, of the team comes and says, I'll sign for you. So the, the team began to make fun of him. The young, the young boy back then, 19 years old, they started calling him Dunn's Babe because Dunn was the owner. Well, it stuck, and he became, as we know, Babe Ruth. Babe was not his name, but he became known as Babe because of the mocking in the dugout. No one knows that. You mentioned Babe Ruth, they go, oh, that dude was a heavy hitter. That dude was awesome. No one knows his story. Babe Ruth died of alcoholism. Depression in his life came at quite a price. He had allowed the pressure of, of becoming who he wanted to be to change him into something he was never meant to be. It all started by adopting the name that the world placed on him. It labeled him from the start, Babe, as a joke. And much like Babe Ruth, the world wants you to sign a contract. But I offer you to sign this contract on this dotted line, but you're going to have to give up your identity. You're going to have to take on a name that the world throws at you. You're going to have to take on a name that you didn't choose. You're going to have to take on a name that didn't choose you. You're going to have to take on something that the world Places and labels upon your heart and upon your life. And rather than being George Herman Ruth Jr., home run hitter on the baseball field, he was the babe of the owner. He was the suck up. He was the brown noser. Somehow he was daddy's little boy in the, in the closet. He was, he was something that was made fun of. And the world makes fun of you. The world laughs at you. The world mocks you. The world mimics you as a joke. Because they want to label you something other than Jesus, people. You see, the devil wants you to be in the world, but he has put restrictions upon your signing of the contract. Conditions to your contract. If you're going to come into my domain, you're going to have to leave the name of your father behind. And let me own you for a little while. Oh, sure, Babe still got to play with the big boys. He still got to hit 
714 home runs across his career, which has only rivaled in the past couple decades. Sure, he got to do what he wanted to do, but at a cost, at a cost of his identity, a cost of who he was, at a cost of who he was meant to be, at a cost of the name he was given at birth, the name you're given at birth, the name you're given when you birth into the kingdom of God. When you give your heart to Jesus, when you repent of your sins and you're filled with a wonderful, precious gift of the Holy Ghost and baptized in his glorious name, that name of Jesus is applied to your life. That's day one in your life. But when you go to the contract line of the world, of your friends, of this, of that, there's a little thing that says, this is your new identity. You're born to bear the name of the Father. And the devil says, oh, but if you want to do anything out here, you're going to have to take off your coat of protection. You're going to have to take off that coat of many colors, Joseph. You're going to have to remove that coat that says who you belong to. And you're going to have to go by my, name, my nickname for a little while. But if I can encourage somebody tonight in the house, you don't have to play the field any longer. You don't have to play at the mercy of the owner anymore. The Bible says we are to be in the world, but not be of the world. I go to work every single day in a hate-filled environment with, with disgusting, vulgar people. And God loves them like he loves me. But I don't have to be like them. I don't have to laugh at their jokes. I don't have to listen to their music. I don't have to think like they think. I don't have to talk like they talk. Why? I may be in the world, but I'm not of the world. Praise God. Come ye out from among them and be ye separate, the Bible says. We don't hear it like that no more. Like I said earlier, we want everybody to preach glad tidings. Preach how good I'm doing, please. Build me up. Problem with building someone up so far, they fall, it hurts. The fall from a higher platform really hurts. You don't have a foundation below you. You don't have something to hold on to and know what you believe and know why you're in this. And know it's not because of mama. It's not because of daddy. Oh, I'm thankful they led me to a cross. I can tell you right now, they weren't on the cross. Jesus was on the cross. We bear the name of Jesus. Don't let anybody in the world distract you from the name you bear that when you went down in Jesus' name. Don't let anybody you come into contact in that world distract you from the name that's written across your heart. Do not let them pull down the, the, the covering, pull down the, the coat, pull down the protection. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'll be friends with you. I love you. I'll witness to you. I'll pray for you. But I am not doing that. I am not going there. Oh, you can make fun of me all you want to. You can call me babe all you want to. But I've got to make it. I've got to make it. I've got to make You've got to make it. This is no joke. This is not fake. Praise God. I wonder if we could all stand across the building tonight. Released from the expectations of the world. They're never going to stop expecting you to be like them. Never. Quit thinking that someday, miraculously, it's going to come to a conclusion, come to an agreement, come to a compromise, and everyone's just going to be okay with you living for God and not joining their fun. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But take a stand. Take a stand wherever you're at. Take a stand in your home. Take a stand. I don't 
not to live like the world. It's your choice. It's your choice. Brother Anthony says we're, we're, we're for, we've been given a wonderful, special superpower, young men. The power of choice. The power of choice. I couldn't have said it better than what he said. You've been given the choice to live right. The choice to one day make it to heaven. But you have to choose. That's why he said, it's already been mentioned this week, choose you this day whom you will serve. I wonder if there's a few young people in the house today who might come to these altars and choose tonight. I wonder if someone might make up in their mind, I'm choosing tonight regardless of what's going on in the home, regardless of what's going on in the world. Who cares what my friends think? Who cares what my family is going to say? I've got to make it to heaven. I've got to make it to heaven.